This is Gerald Everett, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap here, of course, with Byron Lambert, and we are back. It is officially July, it is officially redraft season for fantasy football. We are officially back on schedule with the three pods a week. We had some time off during June for vacations for the FSTA. Hopefully you got to hear us on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio during that time. But during that time, we also had issues with our mobile um, podcast recording device. And we also had to fish and slay these fucking northern pike. Byron, any thoughts on the northern pike and smallmouth bass, bass fishing up in Minnesota before we get into... Well, actually, before we get into football, I'm going to ask you about your Florida fishing. But any thoughts on the Minnesota fishing that you just want to get out there for all of Roster Watch Nation? And it was exactly what I had in mind for you, man. Get you out of the house. Slay a big number of, uh, of, of very aggressive fish. You're acting like I'm a charity case that's like never gone fishing before. No, man, <laughs> like you, you, like two, you did you it all for me. You baby kids, man. You know, down in, yeah. down in the foxhole yeah. fighting I the appreciate war with your wife, I appreciate like you said, it. man. Yeah. Man yeah. needs to get out on a on a on a Minnesota lake on a nice summer day and a cool have, a, a cool summer day, which have, is an odd thing to say from around have here. Have a big day with some voracious pike, man. It's just, it's, it's just a it's a good it's a good easy time. It's a good introduction to fishing up there. I mean, you're quickly reminded, man. I've been around this country. I I had forgotten Minnesota is one of the premier fisheries in all of the United States. It's an unbelievable fishery. They have more species there than anything. I saw a trophy muskie that made my knees shake, made my guide's hands start shaking. We got <laughs> I got two two twenty-one inch smallmouth trophy bass in the boat uh on the on the river up there. I mean just incredible stuff, man. There's lake trout, rainbow trout, there's any anything you could think about catching up. They got steelheads somewhere up there, man. It's just brown trouts, it's smallmouth, largemouth. It's unbelievable, man. And you know that, and you didn't even mention that. Well, I mean, those those northern pike between the two of us, and our guide, of course, who didn't do much fishing, but he he would when the bite got hot. We we, we caught fifty one of them total, and we caught them all on top water spinning rigs. So for anybody that doesn't know what that means, it means you actually saw these goddamn northern pike hit every single time. It adds a level of excitement that you could never believe for these things to all hit on top water because they hit with a violence. Wow. And Byron, and I, I think Byron, you caught two that would be considered trophies, whereas I caught one. But we caught a whole ton. Of, like the median size of those fish were pretty damn close to being thirty to thirty-two inches. So it's what it I had a, in mind. It's exactly the kind of fishing that you hope for when you think about northern pike fishing. And I, it was just, it was, it was, it was, it was just the right kind of activity got really lucky we had a great time up there man you know that not all fishing trips 
go that way. I'm sure you're about to ask about it. This is the Florida trip, man. That's one that I know I'm going on coming off of a great fishing trip, knowing I'm going somewhere to spend a lot of money not to catch any fish, but to just <laughs> but just to learn the ropes and pay my dues, man, for the most technical, ha- hardest style of fly fishing and saltwater uh, uh, sport angling. Um, that's kind of the consensus opinion um, in, in, in the whole world, man. So, hey, man, I, I, I hope to... Hooked about an eight pound tarpon all on my own. About a tw- I laid about a tw- I I sight casted a little school coming in. I laid that thing out about twenty five feet. Seduced that thing into eating. I my first strip set on a tarpon got it, and I just I you know what's a what's a strip set? Well, when you fly fish, you first especially if, you know there's a trout set and a strip set, and you know a lot of folks will learn the trout set first because you're out learning to fly fish for a trout. That's pretty common, right? And uh, that that's just a softer mouth, just much softer upward set, you know. Um, it's even it's even hard to learn to be soft with a trout set coming from like a largemouth bass fisherman in Texas, where you, it's still an upward set, but you learn to set pretty hard. But the strip set, man, it's for these burly fish like a musky with a mouth that's like steel and full of teeth. Or for these <laughs> yeah, these yeah. saltwater fish, man, these tarpon, the same kind of thing, just a super hard mouth, and basically it's just. You keep your rod tip down, and you know you're stripping the bait in, anyways. And then when he hits it, you just strip the hell out of it several times. Just to just, really, just just reeling it in without your rod tip up. Oh, or, yeah, I mean, it's all by your, you, so much of the action on the fly rod is by hand, dude. Now with the saltwater yeah. fish, you'll get to your reel really quick, which was my mistake on the tarpon. It just it you know it just that's how it always goes. Your first time trying to land your first first one of a new species. There's always some nuance that's a little different from fish to fish and how you're supposed to deal with them and you're coming off of one thing for musky and then you forget you've got just a normal leader on here and i muscled him a little bit he jumped he broke off i was just about to let him get to the reel and i, I would have had him for that picture i told you i was gonna send you but there, there's a lot of big tarp and i'm gonna be able to get next time i'm very confident and then dude i, I got my first bonefish that's epic man i saw my my guide spotted him and pointed it out and I those are hard to spot man they're they're like little ghosts under the water on the white sand and I was able to pick them up and I mean the thing I have a whole list man of things that I came back with this is rare for me but I came back with a whole list of like bullet points from this trip that I'm gonna like live by and keep in mind as I prepare and train moving forward I'm gonna go back a much better fly fisherman next time and you know, but what's the, the number one? What's the number one? Tell the people, tell the listeners of the pod that have listened this far who care about fly fishing. You got to stay calm. Stay calm. Be poised. Keep your shit together, man. These, uh, these, are salt, <laughs> these are salty, competitive dudes barking at you. And the thing, about the thing about it is you have to instantly be able to identify, you know, usually you're working from three, or, you know, from, from nine to three on a clock is generally how you're working with 12 o'clock being the bow of the boat. And so sometimes he'll throw out a number other than one of those, but usually he's throwing out some kind of number 233, you know, whatever it is, 11, 11:30. So you have to instantly pick that up. Then you have to see if you can even see the fish. Then you've got and all in this same very fractional instant, you have to figure out where he's telling you the fish is. Can you see him? How far out is the fish? Which direction the fish is what going? Direction so is the, what direction is the fish moving? And what 
cast is available to me right now. And you have to calculate that instantly and then you have to shoot, man. And so it's just a high pressure deal. It's it's about what I thought it was going to be, but you have to go through this, man. So super cool, man. I can't wait can't wait to go back. It's just Key West is a very fishy place and yeah, it's definitely definitely vacation headquarters for Roster Watch Nation. Well, we certainly appreciate all of Roster Watch Nation uh, giving us the availability to be able to take these trips up to FSTA and maybe get a little fishing in while we're up there. But uh, certainly love all you guys. And a reminder, if you like the podcast, please sign up, rate, review, and subscribe. Also, um, Roster Watch Pro memberships. Like, the PPR cheat sheet is already up. We're going to be talking about the busts and monsters uh distribution fantasy scoring distribution tools just a couple of points from that but to download those whole things for running back and wide receiver we still have the best ball cheat sheet up for a little while longer soon that thing's going to go the way of the dodo bird as we shift into a true kind of redraft mode here but you know as we get into july more and more tools more and more products more and more items that are going to help you win in fantasy football and I'm just saying, if you're interested in getting a pro membership, now would be a good time to do it because you never know when we're going to raise prices. And a Roster Watch pro membership as of right now, very, very cheap. Cheaper than a cheap cup of coffee. So go to rosterwatch.com, get a pro membership. All right, Byron, so as for fantasy football talk, what do you want to get into first? You've been bugging the hell out of me about some Gerald Everett question that's been <laughs> that we got on Twitter that's been percolating in the back of your mind. Well, this is the Gerald Everett edition of the Roster Watch podcast. You know, I've kind of been just bugging you about Gerald Everett in general. For, but the, I mean, uh, yeah, for was, a long this time. This was a real, a real good, <laughs> a real good reason to get you on the hook for a Gerald Everett podcast because one of our most maniacal pro subscribers and followers on Twitter, Andrew Hunt asked us mm-hmm. after the show yesterday on Twitter at Rosterwatch, he said, I think you guys may be too low on Gerald Everett. I think he's due for an Ertz-type breakout in that offense. Ertz-type breakout? Can you believe that? I mean, that's pretty big. That's Andrew pretty, that's, Hunt. For an Ertz-type breakout in that offense, not saying he needs to be in the top half of the tight end group, <laughs> but does need to garner some late-round sleeper potential. So let's start here. I mean... You hear this? What what have I I've kind this kind of what I've been bugging you about, right? He at least needs to be kind of one of our late tight end fallback options, right? That's fine. I'll put him up here if it like is the very late. I'll put him up here with the Jared Cooks and the Austin Hoopers of the world but and stuff he, but like I, that. I want to give Andrew Hunt some credit because man, I know you've seen Gerald Everett at the Senior Bowl, so you know more about him. You do just like you know more about the rookies and the young players than anybody else in the, in the industry. But yes, I've seen Gerald. I've, st- I've stood next to Gerald Everett. I've talked to him. I've seen him run routes. I've seen him work against safeties, linebackers, and corners. I, I yeah. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> this I, is this is why we do all of the yeah, work. But that I, we do. I truly don't think people understand that. Like being out at Rams camp and seeing Gerald Everett at Rams camp, even having seen him at the Senior Bowl, really made a real a big impression on me, man. Here's my question though, man. I don't, I don't, I don't think people that know they haven't seen him out there but the, in practice. The, yeah. But they've seen the snap counts and they've seen that Higby's the guy who they like as a blocker. And this is a team that could be, I just, I worry about this defense being so good. And this, and this thing being a game script where they're going to ground and pound and maul. 
And they like Tyler Higby in those situations. Tyler Higby's a, a big, tough dude who can play in line, whereas they like Gerald Everett as a guy who can line up out of the slot and, you know, make plays with his athleticism. And I get why everybody likes him like that, but how often are we going to see these guys in four wide receiver sets? Because Gerald Everett's not going to take Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, or Robert Woods off the football field. Well, what I'm telling you, he is – he could. Gerald Everett is sick. That's what I'm trying to say. He's – Almost so sick when you see him in person in that Rams offense on the practice field that you say, if this is Sean McVay, he's got to find a way to get this guy on the field and get the ball to him. That's what I'm trying to say. He's not, he, he is sick. He looks sick on that team. And this is a mad scientist uh, in Sean McVay. I'm not, I, under, I understand. We love Tyler Higby. Great player. Very important type of tight end. In really this good league. football player. Love, uh, yeah. love Tyler Higby. And, strong, and I get it. Cannibal, strong, it, lumberjack, I, strong. I, yeah. I understand all of the concerns. I mean, that's it, it. All it all makes sense, right? I just, I just don't think people know how sick Gerald Everett looks on that team. And you just, you think to yourself, that's a guy that I'll see at camp again this year. But you, I believe in year two they try to find a way to get that guy the ball more and grow. His role, I mean, it's only a 200-yard, two-touchdown year last year. So it has to go well, up. Well, only a 20 to like 38% snap participant. Yeah, and so, you know, we're not talking about a top-shelf tight end here, but I just love this. I think this is an intelligent question from a sharp player and user and follower that's deep down uh, in, the, in, the, in the throes of these pre-draft rankings looking for gyms. And, like, it's pretty smart if you understand that Gerald Everett is a badass player on an awesome offense that's on the rise and that what, he's not what, on any, what, he's not on anybody's little, radar right now. That's, what school did he even go to? I even forgot. Was it like, it was that little school by where the senior boys, right? South yeah, Alabama. Like, like the Jaguars or something. Yeah. I think Southern Alabama or something right there in Mobile. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, I just good, I, li- I like good. I like him being on the radar. He, he needs to be on roster watch nation's radar. Whether it be as okay. a waiver wire watch list guy to be the, as, begin the season, whether it be he's going to be an op- he's going to be an option for you in, f- in fourteen team leagues with one of your last picks. There's no way we did, we can make him an option in, in in twelve team leagues with one of your last picks. But in four, I've moved him up to where in fourteen team leagues with one of your final picks, you're going to be looking at guys like Gerald Everett. Um, Elijah McGuire, Kalen Balage, Taylor Gabriel, Kiki QT, and Jamon Moore. So I think that you can kind of look at him there. And you know, if, if you've gone that long and you maybe you waited on tight end, you you got somebody that's a little bit risky, like a Vance McDonald or a David Njoku, who a lot of roster watch nation is gonna have exposure to, at least via the early iterations of this PPR cheat sheet. I think it's perfectly fine to, you know, back him up with somebody like a like a Gerald Everett. I, let me ask you this. If if Jared Cook is still there in that situation in a 14-team league, and you let's say you take in uh, – how about let's say you, you, you take in Jordan Reed earlier and you're worried about his ability to stay healthy this season. Would you rather take Jared Cook to back him up or Gerald Everett? I mean, you know Jared Cook in Oakland has been one of my guys. That's one I sniffed out last year. So I'm 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 still on that. I knew Gruden was going to like him. Gruden's been blown away since he's seen him there. Jared Cook is a freak, too, when you see him in practice. I think he had mm-hmm. one of his best years last year. So, yeah, I, I'm going to default to Jared Cook, who has a much more direct line 
to a legitimate full-time role there. I'll tell you what, though. I think in Dynasty, if you followed us for year for you know the last several years, if you happen to own Gerald Everett, sneakily and quietly, he's a guy that I'm feeling positive keep, about keep, moving, keep holding, moving forward. Keep holding. Yeah, and I, I, also I like say, it. I think in best ball, man. In best ball, as a very late second, not second, but third tight end in best ball, and there's situations where I'm drafting three tight ends for those of you that are still playing. He's a good tight end three in best ball. I really think you can get a couple of games out of him this year that are going to be useful. The 2018 Roster Watch Cheat Sheet is available now at rosterwatch.com. The revolutionary cheat sheet that changed fantasy football forever is back only at rosterwatch.com. Winning fantasy players don't use outdated magazines or expensive draft software that's impossible to navigate. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. All you have to do is follow the three simple rules. That's it. Three rules. Guys, it couldn't be easier. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet, an expert quality draft, is guaranteed. It's magical. It's mystical. It's mythical. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. It is only at rosterwatch.com. Well, let's get to a little bit of news and notes here. Fantasy Impact uh, reports coming from Packers.com that second-year running back Aaron Jones has bulked up this offseason. We're hearing a lot of hype around Aaron Jones as the lead guy this offseason. His ADP has been highest in best ball, and I believe so far in redraft. I know our good friend Matthew Berry has been saying throughout the offseason his sources in Green Bay are pointing towards a, a timeshare, but if they had to pick a guy, they'd say it's uh, – Aaron Jones, and apparently this attempt to bulk up is so that he can, you know, stay on the field more often uh, this season. So are you buying it, Alex? You know, my strategy during best ball was kind of like I'm most interested in the Packers running back with the lowest ADP. Does that change as we're formulating the PPR cheat sheet and we're looking forward to the redraft season? If the Packers weren't the Packers, (laughs) if like for one, and if there was – if if there was any indication that one of these guys was going to be hurt or that, you know, any indication that they were going to do something completely different than we've ever seen them do, I mean, during the last five years, I'd be interested in Aaron Jones. I'd be interested if he was their feature running back. I just... And, and I understand that these kinds of situations are the situations that you walk into, and sometimes you can really profit going into these murky situations, kind of reaching in there, figuring out the guy who you like, dusting him off, putting him on your roster, and having a little bit of conviction that this guy's the best player. He's going to come out on top of this competition. I can understand somebody doing that with Aaron Jones. But you know what? I can understand somebody doing that with Jamal Williams too. And I, I, don't, I, I, I love Barry. And I'll, I guarantee you that he's, that he's probably got good sources just because that dude knows a million people. With that being said, man, like, there is absolutely no way that that's not going to be a committee. I don't care what, you know, if, if, if push comes to shove, who, who would be the lead guy. There's not going to be a lead guy. I've, I've, asked, I've been asking at the Combine. I've been asking around at the Pro Days. I've been asking our, some of our sources about what's going to happen with this. I've been asking if Ty Montgomery is going to get moved back to the slot wide receiver position. We've heard now that Randall Cobb, There's the, the reports are out now that Randall Cobb is wearing a walking boot. I don't know what that means for him 
But I do know it means that, you know, there could be something going on there. There could be a need in the slot. There's going to be a need in the slot anyway. There's going to be, a, like, if they were thinking about putting Geronimo Allison in the slot, wouldn't you rather have Ty Montgomery over a slug like Geronimo Allison, who's just a replacement-level player at the NFL level? Well, so, yeah, uh, so, so I, I think that there's still – but we, we haven't been able to get a clear answer on whether Ty Montgomery is going to play running back or whether he's going to play wide, wide receiver. It seems like going through mini camps and OTAs, he's been mostly at running back. And so you know he's always going to be mixed in as some kind of joker there. As long as Jamal Williams is healthy, Jamal Williams has actually inexplicably looked like the guy who's better receiving out of the two players, you know, which flies in the face of everything that we had on our evaluations of these guys. Jamal Williams got a ton of work uh, in the, 20, um, the 2017 season as a, as a receiver out of the backfield. And, I mean, if – I just I want to look at the I, I'd look at I want to look at the scoring distribution here of the number of games they bust and the number of games. Uh, in standard, Jamal Williams had a monster uh, of twenty plus points, fourteen point two eight percent of the time, and he busted fifty uh, percent of the time. Aaron Jones never had a monster and busted sixty percent of the time. Uh, Aaron Johnson, Aaron Jones never had a PPR monster, and he busted 70% of the time. Jamal Williams had a PPR monster, which was 25-plus points, 14.28% of the time, and he only busted 57.14% of the time to Jones's 70%. And we only took into account the, the, the games that Aaron Jones was healthy, you know, and the games where Jamal Williams wasn't healthy and Aaron Jones, you know, needed to step up. There was the Dallas game, but that game wasn't a monster in standard or in PPR. Jamal Williams, at least when he had the opportunity all to himself, he, he, he managed to go big in those spots and managed to put up at least a couple of monster games for his owners and busts at a, specific, at, at a significantly lower rate. So I think right now Jamal Williams is going one spot later as far as fantasy pros, composite or consensus ADP. And so I'm generally going to take the guy I could pick later, but either I'm just I'm not into either of those guys, man. I think it's going to be a nightmare all through the season to figure out who's who, who's going to be the one getting the touches this week. I'm going to have to monitor the news all week. I'm going to have to listen to McCarthy, and I hate listening to McCarthy at his press conferences. He never gives any information. You know, I mean, I, I say I'm going to have to. I'm, I'm going to have to anyway because this is my job. But it, just for my own fantasy teams, for the stuff that I'm going to be super tuned into. I don't want to be. I don't want to be just waiting on pins and needles to hear what McCarthy says about these guys. It sounds just as bad as waiting on pins and needles to hear what Doug Peterson says about the Philadelphia Eagles running situation. We're never going to get a straight answer. It's going to be a committee because that's just how they do things. As you always say, Byron, it's going to be four to five guys that are going to be running out of that backfield throughout the whole entire season. So, with that being said, I've come around to your side of it. If I'm if, if I'm taking one of these Green, Green Bay Packers runners, I'm just going to wait till the very end of the draft to take Ty Montgomery, who's been discarded and thrown away like some piece of trash that no fantasy players are even interested anymore well i found it interesting what matthew barry's friend over at espn rob domovsky said about ty montgomery on the heels of otas kind of his evaluation was that ty montgomery hadn't lost any ground to the other two guys and you know mike mccarthy made the comment that they still have to continue to take advantage of montgomery's skills and that he's no question that their offense is suited for what uh, Ty Montgomery does so. If if you're if you're of of the same rationale that we are with this logic of a later round ADP, Ty Montgomery being the guy that we're more interested in, I feel like that's uh, uh, pretty good um, confirmation so far coming out of OTAs. 
Absolutely. What do you got next? Well, on to something very interesting that I couldn't understand what's been going on on Twitter the last few days. I'd seen all these things flying around about, like, I think Evan Silva's <laughs> I can't. I can't ever figure out what's going on on Twitter. <laughs> I, can't, I mean, who, who can? I think I've seen Evan Silva and a few other guys in the industry tweeting around about some kind of late round quarterback appeal, appeal with Blake Bortles all of a sudden. Seems like all of what? a sudden he's, he's starting to see, it feels like he was starting to be kind of like a sleeper darling of industry experts on Twitter in the last few days. I was scratching my head wondering where this could come from. I mean, you know me, I'm I'm one of the original Blake Bortles. I characterized him I don't as think an, Silva, I don't think Silva tweeted about Blake go, Bortles. Go, go search his Twitter feed right here, live oh, on the okay. pod. I'll go, on, so I'll go, I'll go, I'll go I, on my tweet deck, search Bortles. I, I'll do an advanced search. I'll do by tweet authors. By what is what is what is Silva's? Uh, what is is it just Evan Silva on Twitter? I don't know, man. But what I did find interesting is I'd been seeing that, and today I saw it come across the wire that uh, Jacksonville's offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett, who who was who was the one that really wanted to go to this new smaller wide receivers, uh, as far as personnel is concerned. That he's he's coming out saying that they need to be a lot more aggressive on offense, and that the Jaguars' offense is in a terrific situation because they have such a good offensive line and running backs, and that allows them to uh, run the ball, but in turn allows them to be more aggressive now on the in the passing game. That kind of setting up the passing game and so I'm assuming this is where this has kind of been a confluence of upward ticking Blake Bortles tidbits and and momentum in in recent days so I guess number one what do you think do you buy it he he he, you know is he here's the here's the silver tweet here's the silver tweet it's the Silva tweet um, because he he's quoting the quote from Florio at Pro Football Talk, where it says Nathaniel Hackett. So Nathaniel Hackett is the offensive coordinator down there in Jacksonville. He says trust in Blake Bortles means we can be more aggressive. And so Silva quote tweeted it and said last year Bortles averaged twenty eight point zero pass attempts in the first seven games, average spiked to thirty six point three attempts over final nine games with increased rush, rushing usage, especially in the playoffs. So I and mean, he, it's not just him. He was one of many in recent days tweeting things like this, kind of uh, alluding to the allure and appeal of a late round Blake Bortles quarterback option in our redraft leagues this year. And then we've got this but the, thing coming uh, across the wire from Nathaniel Hackett. So I, I actually, mean, it I just think, go, it just goes to show how things change because you read the next thing from on tweet deck from Evan Silva. He's writing to somebody. He says IMO. And this is just another tweet about Bortles. He says, the most important part of it all is recognizing weaknesses and strengths of your own team. No, you do not want Bortles to be a high-volume passer. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, I, this is just... Well, that's what Evan is, Silva is, does. That's what Evan right. Silva's analysis is. That may not be... And, that, and that's probably Nathaniel Hackett and Doug Marone's analysis as well. Deep but, down? Yeah. Deep down? It doesn't mean yeah. that's what I think. Do. I, I, I think what you're saying is, I think you're saying that Silva and other people in the industry, you've seen him on Twitter, maybe... If taking this latest Nathaniel Hackett news and said there could be something worthwhile here to look at with Blake Bortles, is yeah, that I, it? Yeah, but I because don't even think that's the most important part of this whole what is? tidbit. 
I feel like the trash man talking about Blake Bortles. The most important part of this tidbit is, are these words. We have a very good offensive line. Why is well, that so good? Because Leonard Fournette is being underrated by every donkey that Leonard tries Fournette's to act like a fantasy ADP is too low. He's a screaming value right now, and it's the opposite of the Aaron Jones who's bulking up, who wins the last time you remember bulking up, working out too well for running back. Leonard Fournette has shed the weight. He was in, what, 220? I don't want to say he was 228 at OTAs. I mean, 12 pounds lighter than the combine, 5 pounds lighter than training camp last year. I think he said he's trying to get down to 223. He said that was the range he was best at in college. That's a big man. That's a that's a body transformation. All of a sudden, that starts to remind you of, like, kind of what happened with Le'Veon Bell. And then you start to remember that there was some player comps to Leonard Fournette and Le'Veon Bell with some of the traits of their feet and running styles. Dude, he, 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 he's a premier generational running back talent. There's no better candidate to see that kind of second-year leap within a Leonard Fournette. Nobody's talking about it. Everybody's sleeping on it. So to me, the operative part of this whole statement had nothing to do with Blake Bortles. It was the OC coming out touting the quality of his offensive line. I think we're forgetting that. Not only... Is it Leonard Fournette here? Like the Jaguars have a good offensive line and a functional offense now, a good defense. You talk about game script setting up for Todd Gurley. I mean, this thing sets up for Leonard Fournette this year, and nobody's talking about it. And so what are we going to see out of Leonard Fournette in 2018? Well, I told you we're going to save the big guns for all the podcasts in August. I didn't want to get too over our skis. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you this. I think it's going to be the full repertoire. The full repertoire. He hasn't shown it yet. And let me tell you, he has a big, complete repertoire.